Jesus goes to the temple. Uh, I've been there too, actually, on my pilgrimages to the Holy Land. I should say I've been to what's left of it. The western foundation wall of what Jesus was looking at still stands to this day, and it's one of the most ancient human places I've ever seen. You can see the history right in front of you. Uh, Because the wall has these three distinct layers to it. Uh, The smallest stones are at the top, and they were laid during the Ottoman Empire, and there are slightly larger stones uh, in the middle uh, that were um, from about the 700s, uh, 8th century. And there's this massive uh, stone base layer that was believed uh, to be laid around the time of Herod the Great, um, maybe uh, around 19 B.C., Um, That's just what survived. The temple Jesus and his friends were looking at was approximately, at this time, 500 years old. Uh, For reference, Christ Church is 160 years old. Uh, The building Jesus looked at was about uh, twice as old at the time as our country is now. Okay. Now, the temple also meant way more than what a church means to us, too. Um, We think of church as a holy place, yes. But how many of you have attended other churches and been just as happy? I mean, don't don't tell me if you have. (laughs) I've got got (laughs) delicate, fragile feelings here. (laughs) But you know, if you moved away, there would be other churches that you could attend. But for Jesus and the Jews of his time, the temple was central. It, it held the literal presence of God on earth. There was one place God was, which was in the Ark of the Covenants, held in the Holy of Holies within the temple. So there was a, a geographical loci to God's presence. The pilgrimage to Jerusalem was paramount. It was something that Jews did annually. And the temple was so many other things, too, all tied up together. A marketplace, a court, a place where you knew your allegiance, business and law and patriotism and the known presence of God all mixed up in this one relatively small space. So I'd like you to feel all of that when Jesus looks around and says, All of this is going to be thrown down. For his followers, it means the end of something holier than Christ's church, the end of something more defining than America. He's depicting the end of life as you know it. It's frightening, and folks are frightened, rightly so. Luke was written after the things Jesus said would take place. Our gospel is written after um, what was the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. The Romans were fed up with the constant stream of Jewish rebellion and put it down violently, raising the temple to the ground except for one wall. Um, It's never been rebuilt. Jews pray to this day at the western wall, weeping for the temple's return which is why it's sometimes called the Wailing Wall. I'm giving you this rather long history lesson today for two reasons. One is that I've 
written four sermons in 11 days, and history seems like all I've really got to rely on on this point. Um, But more seriously, I was reading this passage about the fall of an institution, ironically, on a weekend dedicated to the upholding of an institution, namely ours uh, in the Episcopal Church. For the blissfully uninitiated out there, last night two of our lay delegates and myself returned from the annual meeting of the Diocese of New York. So I know a lot of you are newcomers to the Episcopal Church, so let me just say that we are a democratically governed body. Uh, Unlike the Roman Church, we don't pass down edicts or rules or doctrine from an ultimate central authority. We get together and chat about issues that matter to us. We form committees dedicated to how we can respond, and then we meet as a big governing body about it. And then we argue. And then maybe we reach some kind of resolution. And then maybe when everyone has had their say and the question is finally called, we'll vote. It's enough to make a girl really wonder about the benefits of monarchy, honestly. I mean, sometimes, after the 15th person stands in favor of voting on a resolution about Eleanor Roosevelt, of all people, that you agree with, and seemingly so does everyone else in the room, and that literally has no binding power over anyone's actions, you just think, like, how did we get here? (laughs) But it's not unique to a diocese, it's democracy. You all have spent time in PTA meetings, town halls, city councils, school boards, planning boards, (laughs) vestry. We as a church got there in the same way that everything does. In the days of the early church, a few people banded banded together over this realization that the loci of God's presence had shifted, that it was no longer to be found in a place or in a book even, but in a person, as close as your own skin. Now, it's not an obviously institutional message. As you heard in our gospel, it started as the anti-institution. Jesus is the voice of the rebellion. The powers would fall. Kingdoms would crumble. The thing that you thought was as reliable as the earth beneath you would tremble and split. And persecution would be part of the experience as they formed these beliefs. Because to this day, there's nothing we people like more than a good scapegoat. So how did we get here? People heard this message and believed. They started to gather together and share Jesus' teachings to pray and read scripture and try to define who they were in the face of a brutal and merciless world. We said, this is what Jesus did. Let's try that. There was then and is now significant disagreement as to what Jesus did and what we ought to do as Christians. So we formed these little pockets of ourselves And ours began to debate and argue and sometimes reach some kind of resolution. 
For us as Episcopalians, what's that, what that has meant is that we've become the sort of Christians who have a rich liturgical tradition, a readiness to, an- to ask hard questions, and to extend a radical welcome to all sorts and conditions of people. We named the good of democracy for us, that one person alone can access God, but with a limited view, that it takes a lot of people believing vehemently in everything from the funding of reparations to the care of creation to commemorations of Eleanor Roosevelt to make a place where we see the Holy Spirit at work. This is where you find yourself today, in a place filled with the same dysfunction as the world, but with an altogether different kind of hope. It's not the hope that will be able to preserve everything exactly as it's always been. Dying and rebirth are not just stories we tell from the past. It's who we are. It's built into us as people who bear the dying and rising of Christ in our bodies. So take heart, Jesus says. No matter where you're at in that process, the layers of history in the wall of your very being, by your endurance, you will gain your souls. Amen.